either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Okay, we're done lollygagging. Back after a week off, and it's a good week to be back. Spooky season is off and running for sure. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we will start, where else? With a take on Clive Barker's 1987 horror classic, where a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of an ancient puzzle box, unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites, the new Hellraiser. It has six sides, six configurations. It opens up. And then they come to collect. It's time. Greater delights await. We wish to see you proceed. Feed it. Their blood. Their pain. All for us. What is it you pray for? It's funny, not recently I shared, I think I shared with you or on social media that that joke meme where somebody was ordering Cinnabites. And, and, <laughs> but this morning on the radio station that one of the stations I call on, on Friday morning, they thought I was saying Cinnabites. <laughs> they were not familiar. That's crazy. No, Cenobites. And this is one we've been waiting on for a while because if you've listened to us, or especially our, our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club, we have some serious love, especially I do, for the 1987 Hellraiser because I'm not a big fan, I never was, of the Jason and, and Freddy stuff from mm-hmm. the 80s. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people are, and that's great. But I loved some Hellraiser, mm-hmm. and I was really, I was wary of this until, well, we both were, until we saw the director was David Bruckner. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, he can bring something to it. And he really does. I don't think this will will let fans down. Oh, no. It is, it's gorgeous, and creepy and it's violent now so if you're if you're new to the hellraiser <laughs> franchise and a lot of people don't realize it's actually the 11th film that's in the amazing series. it is i don't think i realized that right now and, and and most of them um are unwatchable if i'm honest the last two are just heinous and most of the ones in the middle are bad so there's not but this one is is uh is we we argue uh, and also, we will in a minute with uh, Schlocketeer as to where this one falls in terms of uh, the best of the Hellraisers. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very high up there. Yeah, it is high up there because he first of all, well, you're dealing with a bigger budget. Okay, so he's got Bruckner has more. And if you don't know David Bruckner, he did most recently he did the the uh, very impressive film with uh, Rebecca Hall called The Night House. But he started off with well, he did he did a couple of of anthology shorts, but he did. The Ritual, yeah, which very. was so funny. Creature you haven't feature, seen The yeah. Ritual, so yeah. good. So I would say, especially now, his his horror cred is firmly established. Mm-hmm. And he brings a nice, first of all, a nice new vision to this with, with uh, the themes that he bases the story on. But let's start with the, the, the design, the look, the cinematography. It's fantastic. It is glorious. And the creature design, I mean, you know, it, regardless of how much you may remember of the themes of Clive Barker's original, and they were nutty and they were like nothing we ever saw in a film before but regardless what you remember is the Cenobite you remember Pinhead there's no way you don't remember Pinhead because he looked so cool they all did all Mm -hmm. of them did and no matter how bad those sequels uh, eventually got 
The monsters looked great in all of them, but not like this. This yeah. creature design is glorious. It really is. And so is the puzzle box, because yes. even though it starts out looking the same, it ends up looking different. It's got many new configurations, mm-hmm. new surprises, which is great. The entire the entire look uh, of the movie is really fantastic. It is on Hulu, by the way. That's where you can catch this. And uh, But let's go back to the themes, because the first one was, let's just... Let's just be polite and just say it had some S&M going on. A little bit. Uh, yeah, it did. Uh, this one roots it, as we've seen a lot of movies lately, especially horror movies, with good reason. It's rooted in trauma, and it's rooted in addiction. addiction. in particular. Addiction yes. in particular here, because you've got this uh, young woman who is played by Odessa Azion. She's great. I think she's very good. Yeah. Yeah, she's got an addiction problem, and as you pointed out while we were watching it, she just seems to ruin everything she touches, including her family. Mm -hmm. She's got a a real—she's crashing with her brother, Mm -hmm. but we don't know how long that's going to last because she keeps keeps fucking up, Yeah, right? Uh, And then she's got this boyfriend who seems to have a line on where you can steal—he seems to know where some some rich people are stashing their valuables in a warehouse, so— they bust open this safe, and oh, what's in there? Just this strange puzzle box. Yeah. And that's where it takes off, because you know what happens. We know what happens when you play with that puzzle box. So the bargain, I guess, that she ends up making with the Cenobites to keep feeding them is a lot different than the bargain that was made the first time in yeah. the first film. Yeah, or in any of the subsequent films, which I find really refreshing and yeah. fascinating. It had to be. It, it, yeah, really, it did. really did. And, I mean, they've, they've updated the ideas really well without disregarding um in particular what what clive barker did clive barker who wrote the novella that the first one is based on and of course he directed the first film you know the everything else from there is is even the better ones they feel derivative this feels fresh but it feels very respectful to the the material the source material particularly pinhead yeah and I think the priest, it, the priest aka pinhead who's played gloriously by jamie clayton she's so great and it expands on them, I think. It expands on their... How can I say this without a spoiler? <laughs> it expands on the the journey that you maybe undertake in trying to get these slippery rewards that they maybe yeah. might be offering to yeah. you. It's as far as I'm going to go yes. with that. It yeah. expands on that, just what is required. And, and uh, I enjoyed that. It digs into that history a little bit more. Um, it's really well written. It is well it's written. It's really well and written. And it has, I, I, I don't know where I, I saw it. I know I saw it in skimming some of the other reviews, but at least one person I saw thought that it didn't really have much to say, which I That's wholeheartedly disagree yeah, with. It I do does. Too. Yeah, I do too. It does when you think about the character at the beginning. Because as our friend Timothy, a filmmaker we know named Timothy Troy, pointed out, uh, I was, I was uh, discussing this film with him on socials. It's all about, it's effective horror is about character. Mm-hmm. Character. And there are characters here, mm-hmm. especially, you know, the, the main character, her name is Riley, uh, the addict, and her journey, where it starts and where it ends, it, yeah. it is saying something. Yes, it, it definitely, definitely is. is. No, it absolutely is. And let's not, let's not, or let's be very clear here, because you alluded earlier to people that might be new. This is bloody. This yes, is a is. horror film. That was one of the things about the original that made it so different from the quote slashers. The, this is by from for my money, Hellraiser is by no means a slasher. It just isn't. But it was incredibly different for a number of reasons from the other films that were really popular in the eighties. Mm-hmm. The ones that spun off a bunch of sequels, uh, because you know it's it's not a slasher, and because the violence itself is rooted in something different and is really grisly. Oh man. 
Nasty, nasty. Yeah, and they don't uh, they don't pull punches in this one. No, and they shouldn't. No, uh, if you're re- doing Hellraiser, you've got to bring it, and yeah. it, it does bring it, and it certainly sets the stage for possibly more um, by the end of it. Yeah, but uh, it's it's satisfying. Hellraiser fans, I think you are not going to be let down. No. I know I wasn't. No, and a lot of credit to not only director David Bruckner, but the 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 credited writers Ben Collins, Luke. Piotrowski and David S. Gorier all get writing credits. Just well done all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, uh, give a nod to cinematographer Eli Bourne. Just really great. And yeah. production design, everything. Oh my God, it's Just great. looks fantastic. Yeah, so it, really it is does. streaming on Hulu. If you can get somebody, either yourself or a friend, with the biggest screen, yeah. it's only going to help it you. Is, it is one that I'm really disappointed that it didn't get th- did not get theatrically released because... It is quite something to yeah, look at. It really is. Uh, but you betcha, it's horror. You're looking for a horror movie, you're going to find it <laughs> with uh, on Hulu. <laughs> the new Hellraiser. Such delights to show you. <laughs> Next up is a historical comedy drama. Dramedy. Uh, set in the 1930s, three friends witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. This is a new one from David O. Russell, Amsterdam. Tax the rich. We find ourselves in a situation where we're accused of killing someone, which is not true. We need someone to help us to find the truth. My friend was killed because of something monstrous that he had seen. This is all turning out to be a lot larger than any of us. These are dangerous times. You be careful. I'm about to do something that could cost me my life. The cuckoo is in the nest, and the cuckoo is about to be trapped. Cuckoo. We had a high hopes for this one. Really did. For one reason, uh, David O. Russell, and I mean, there are many reasons, like this cast, holy cow. But David O. Russell is not a filmmaker who usually lets you down. No, and it's been... Really, several, I think seven years now since his last one, yeah. which kind of was a letdown joy. Yeah, I, I was very disappointed with Jennifer by Lawrence. Joy. Before that, though, he had quite a run. If you want to go back to Three Kings, that was solid. And then he had Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle. Yeah. Great stuff that was really tonally locked in. And I think the problem with Amsterdam, that the tone is all over the place. It is. And it's a story, it is, it's a, it's a comedy drama, but it has some historical basis to it. And it does have just an incredible cast. I don't think we have enough time on this podcast to go down <laughs> all the people that are in this movie. It's just a litany of big stars, uh, critical darlings, Oscar nominees, Oscar winners, over and over and over. And it's led by Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, and John David Washington. And they, uh, Christian Bale and John David Washington met in the war, in the World War One, the war to end all wars, was supposed to. And then they have injuries and they're cared for by the nurse played by uh, Margot Robbie. And so even though it starts in the 30s, it ends up through voiceover narration taking you back to 1918 when they first met. And then it brings you back to the 1930s where, yeah, uh, uh, Christian Bale and John David Washington are on the run because they are they're framed for this murder. And then they hook back up with their friend from years ago, the nurse, and then they stumble into connecting the dots to this incredible conspiracy that leads to, this is what has basis in reality, if you've ever heard of or know anything about the what they call the business plot conspiracy of 1933. That's an actual thing. Won't go into it for fear of spoilers, but it's an actual thing. Right. So while you're getting to that, you, you see and hear all these characters 
played just so gloriously by these fantastic actors. And that's a treat to watch. But then you start wondering, where is this going? Yeah, and it really is a treat to watch. They're so odd. I mean, everybody is so eccentric. And the way they're filmed, the way each character is filmed, and the way their their conversations are filmed, I mean... You know, David O. Russell is a great filmmaker, and one of the things that he's always done really well, which I think especially in Silver Linings Playbook, but also I Heart Huckabee, are um, conversations, dialogue, yeah. which a lot of times can be sort of the part of a film that drags, not when he does it. Yeah, but and so early on, it lays out this whodunit, which reminded me of, I thought, boy, he must have liked Knives Out. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but then the characterizations made me think he also likes Wes Anderson. Yes. It was sort of a mash between the two, but it just goes on and on and on. And then you're leading to the, once it gets to this conspiracy, it brings in Robert De Niro. He plays this uh, very respected army general. Gil. Gil. And uh, <laughs> once uh, yeah, once he comes into it, and then you start mixing, Christian Bale's character has voiceover narration, which, you know, we don't love most of the time. But then you mix it with this the speechifying that this general makes. And boy, once it gets to the point... Yeah. It just comes on so strong, Very. so strong that we're not giving any credit for being able to connect the dots ourselves. Right. I don't know how many times some character talks about history repeating itself. We can get that. Yeah, we can. Um, and then you you learn about this incredible conspiracy, which I went and read about more afterwards. And you might be inclined to do that. And it's very interesting. It's a fascinating piece of history. But boy, it just once it gets to where it's going it's just so heavy It's just led you there, you know, and, and the thing is the first, you know, 90 minutes is just this weird, interesting, but messy yeah, very, sort of, very yeah, messy. yeah, and then where, when they finally tie it up, he ties it up so strong with such a bow that you're like, I don't know, man. Yeah, mess is a good word for it. It's just a, it's a, a collection of great actors with some really eccentric parts and they have fun doing it, but yep. only so long you want to go, okay. Take us where you're going to get it, yep. get where you want to go, and but it's just a, it's just such a heavy-handed disappointment toward the end that I uh, can't really give a recommendation for Amsterdam as as great as all these actors, this collection of actors. I mean, it's everybody from Michael Shannon, one oh, of our favorites, and then you've oh, got yeah. Alessandro Nivola and yeah. some ridiculous hairdo showing oh my up, God, yes. and then you got surprises like Mike Myers and, and Chris Rock and Taylor Swift. Yeah, uh, all these people are like, yeah, "What? Your head is spinning from this cast." Yeah. I just wish it was a better result, and yes. that's in theaters now called Amsterdam. How about a good family movie next? Feature film based on the children's book about a crocodile that lives in New York City. It's Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Mom, I swear to you, he's not dangerous. He's a crocodile. Okay, yes, crocodiles can bite through bone, and yes, they have a taste for human flesh, but he's not like that. He wears a scarf, and he can sing. Sure, this is safe. Who wants to be safe? We're here to live, and living is a dangerous business. It's his first time in a taxi. At the top of the world, the top of the world, the top of the world tonight. A couple of surprises for me for this movie. Number one, that the book series goes all the way back to the '60s. It does uh, yeah, as I do, and, I, <laughs> and I've never heard of it. And also, Javier Bardem shows up in this movie. He does. In fact, he's the first face that you see, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's a big weirdo, which I always appreciate. I, I mean, very few people play a big weirdo quite as well as Javier Bardem. It's just you rarely expect to see a Javier Bardem weirdo 
plop in the middle of a very family-friendly <laughs> children's film. And uh, Constance Wu in this as well. Yep. And we should say the voice, if you like pop music right now, the voice of Lyle Lyle is Sean Mendes. That's right, because that's just the thing, right? This family moves into a brownstone in, in uh, New York City to find that the previous owner, Javier Bardem, has left behind his singing crocodile. And it's kind of a funny bit because it's not like it's a little crocodile. It's big. It's right. a big, scary crocodile. Right. But he's so charming because he sings. And so, you know, <laughs> they, they have fun with that. It's really well made. It looks good. The performances are very, very solid, which is important because, you know, the, the characters, especially the parents, they're going to be very superficial and one-dimensional. They do try to flesh them out. They try to give everybody a little bit of an arc. Mm-hmm. Constance Wu and Scoot McNary play the parents. Scoot! And they do, Scoot! He's in and another movie that we'll talk about here in a little bit. They they do a nice job. The the animation rendering, I mean, the, yeah. the gator looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the crocodile, pardon me, looks great. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it's pretty full of action and intrigue. I mean, it's not a classic, but it's enjoyable. And Javier Bardem is a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, he, he usually is. This is directed by Josh Gordon and Will Speck. They've done a few together, including Blades of Glory, oh a cult favorite, <laughs> Sex on Ice. Uh, and the screenplay, uh, Will Davies adapted the book. So, yeah, I mean, for a, a family film. Yep. You know, you're getting into the very beginnings of the holiday season, and uh, it's out in theaters now. Yeah, you could do a lot worse. Oh, absolutely. With the family out in theaters now called Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile. All right, enough family stuff. Let's get back to the horror. This is an overweight teen bullied by a clique of cool girls poolside while holidaying in her village. The long walk home will change the rest of her life. It's called Piggy. It's called This one is in limited release this weekend. It opens wide next week on the 14th. And if you are a horror fan, I couldn't recommend it more strongly. If you're not, this is going to be too much for you. Yeah, this was interesting because we had heard a little bit about it before we saw it. And we had heard that it gets it gets nasty. It gets brutal. And for a long time, I'm thinking, does it? And then it does. Yeah, but not only that. I mean, it's so uncomfortable and heartbreaking just in what the lead character played so beautifully by Laura Galan, who's, I mean, she's remarkable. She's and, great. And she's so, she's almost silent for the first, probably 45 yeah, minutes of the film. Yeah, but she speaks with her face. She really does. She I does. mean, the performance is remarkable. Yeah. And it just, her, her life, I mean, her day goes from bad to worse to unthinkable to near death to, mm-hmm. and, and it's necessary to it go is. through that with her so that when you get to, the decision that she makes, right. you understand what all is going on. Yeah. And it's just that part. Before yeah. anything violent happens, that's hard to sit through. It is. Partly because it's really well directed, it's really well written, but that performance is insanely good. Yeah, writer-director is Carlotta Pareda. And that is a that's what the movie, you know, the, the watershed moment is this decision she makes as she's walking home from the pool after she's been m- more humiliated and bullied. And that's what it turns on. And uh, you're right. It has to be that way. And early on, even though she doesn't speak and she wears these headphones to try to block out everything, she hears what the kids are saying about her and what the, the, the piggy sort of, you know, pig nose things they make in her face. And she knows very well what they think of her. And it, it, it leads up to this just real awkward, uh, humiliating encounter that leads her to this decision that you're right. It, you have to you have to experience that backstory with her to make that resonate. Yeah. 
And then we start getting nasty after that. And what's interesting to me then is where the film goes. Like what relationships bud and why and and how characters turn Mm -hmm. expectedly and unexpectedly. And then, you know, what what her arc is. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a this is a surprising movie and it's made from a really good short that actually we got to see a couple of years ago at Nightmares Film Festival. Right. But even so, there's no way you really know where this is going and man is it satisfying. It is. And again, it's you you got to like horror movies and you got to like some blood because it does get nasty toward the end. But it it has a lot to say and it's really well done in its in its message. I mean, you feel it without without being told so much. You know, we yeah. always come back to that. Don't tell us so much, right. show us so much. Right. And through the writing and through this this great lead performance uh, by Laura Galan, you're right, this is really, really good. And uh, once it gets into, like you said, in limited release right now, but next week it's going out to a wider release. And if it's in your area and you like the horror, check this out. It's called Piggy. Let's go to Netflix next. A woman in New York who seems to have things under control is faced with a trauma that makes her life unravel. This is Luckiest Girl Alive. I don't know what's me. And what part I invented. Your former classmate has made claims against you. Don't talk about what happened that night. Are you seriously trying to threaten me right now? You have to get into the nitty-gritty details for the whole world. Do you like your life, Tiffany? Sometimes I feel like a wind-up doll. Turn my key, and I will tell you exactly what you want to hear. Mila Kunis is a better actor than people realize. I think that's true. And I think one of the things that I've liked in her her films in the last few years, most of which didn't get big release, most of which people didn't see, is that she's very believable as a character who will, if pushed, stand up for herself mm-hmm. very decidedly. Well, I remember you gave a very good review to that. Was it Four Days? Yes. Uh, which not a lot of people saw. No, the whole movie had some problems, but it wasn't her performance. She was yeah. amazing. I think this one is... Inclined to get more eyeballs, eyeballs because it's on Netflix. Sure, and it's based on a book. Uh, the writer who adapts it is Jessica Knoll, and then the director is Mike Barker. And Mila Kunis is very good in this as well. And this is very interesting because if you've listened to this podcast a lot, you know that we're not fans of voiceover narration. Correct, and we're certainly not fans of the essay at the end. No. Reading an essay at the end usually for that's usually reserved for young adults. Yeah. Um, about half of this movie concerns a young adult. But anyway, both those things are in this movie, and both those things work. Yes. That shows you how surprisingly well-constructed and well-built this movie is. And it, it's basically yeah, sort of two mo- movies in one because Mila Kunis's character is, she does, as the synopsis says there, she, she seems to have it all under control. She works at this cosmopolitan-like magazine. She writes all the sex stories. And she wants to write, you know, meaningful stories. And she is up for a promotion. Her boss, by the way, her editor is played by Jennifer Beals. Nice. It's nice to see her. And she's Welcome. really good yeah. in this in this small part. And at the same time, she's getting ready to marry Finn Whitrock. Uh, he's Mary- not your favorite. No, he's not my favorite. I he's like he's him. fine in this. Um, marry into this very wealthy family. And so she's the more it goes along, you get she's she's playing a part here. She because one of the the successes of the voiceover narration is Sometimes before she answers somebody back in a conversation, you'll first hear what she's thinking and what she wants to say. 
And that's part of the movie's success. You go along and you you get closer and closer to her honest self finally coming together with her outward self. And she's got to be honest with herself because she has some serious trauma in her life, in her past. She was one of the few, she was a survivor of a deadly school shooting back when she was in, in school at this very prestigious prep school in 1999. And she has not all this time, it's said in 2016, um, all this time she has never spoken about it. And as she's getting ready for a wedding and this promotion, maybe she's approached by a documentarian who's making a film about it, wants her to go on record for the very first time. She is mulling that over because another survivor of that shooting who has gone on to make a name for himself as a gun control advocate and writing books and things, he has always accused Mila Kunis's character of being an accomplice toward this. Yeah. So the documentarian would like them to sort it out you know, in this in this movie. She's not sure she wants to do that. There's a lot of other things involved that I'm not going to spoil. But there's, it's another movie about trauma, mm-hmm. um, and we've seen a lot of those uh, lately. And this one really does a lot of things that don't usually work for us right. and has them work. It touches on very important topics. It also, even though it does tell you things in the voiceover narration, it also doesn't tell you things. It just drops little bits of knowledge with organically in the movie, like... Should I say the, the the type of sexual activity that she enjoys and doesn't enjoy with her fiance, and also maybe some some cosmetic surgery she's had since her days as a teenager, things like that that are very important to her character, but you don't hear somebody saying and saying them in narration, telling you exactly why they should matter. It's up to you. You pay well attention. Written. Yeah, you pay attention. You catch these things, and it it all adds up to a. To a, a satisfying finale, even if there is a uh, an essay involved, but it, but it's good. It's it well done. It does. It's very tight. It is well done because it's organic and it, it's uh, important to everything, and it touches on a lot of different issues that are very important. A lot of especially female centric issues. And I, again, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but I would recommend it. And it's not always a pleasant watch, but believe me, they. They don't pull punches, especially no. when it gets down to yes. reenacting yes. reenacting the things that uh, were in her past as far as the school shooting. Let me just tell you right now. It's they, hard to watch. It is. Yeah, they don't pull those punches. So be ready for that. If there's any sort of triggering, go be, be, uh, be wary of that. But uh, I found it very, very worthwhile. Uh, call it. And another great performance, like you said, Mila Kunis. Can, she can bring it. Yeah. Um, and she's also listed as a producer here, so she probably had something to do with getting this book brought to the screen and and well done all the way around it's on netflix now called luckiest girl alive oh we mentioned scoot mcnary this is the movie that he was in <laughs> i said <laughs> we're going to talk one. about scoot yeah <laughs> he plays a teacher who was okay. a who has helped her out um in the past when she was in that prestigious prep school and really meeting him again years later is sort of what triggers her going back to deal with this mm-hmm. thing so yeah scoot's in it as well and also as we're tossing out names let's also give a, uh, a shout out to the actress that plays the young Mila Kunis in this, Chiara Aurelia. I butchered that probably. Very good as well. Nice. So uh, just a, a good cast and well done on Netflix now, Luckiest Girl Alive. Hey, how about more horror? All right, horror comedy. We love those. This is on Shudder. A disgraced internet personality attempts to win back his followers by live streaming one night alone in a haunted house. But when he accidentally pisses off a vengeful spirit, his big comeback event becomes a real-time fight for his life. It's called Deadstream. For seven years now, you have watched me face my fears for your entertainment. 
There is one fear that I haven't yet faced. I will be spending one night alone in a haunted house. Don't forget to smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, and follow me on Livid. I hope you all appreciate the public service I'm doing by being here. Are you still with what's her name? No, shh, we're here. Oh, come on, that doesn't even look real. I'm not falling for this Photoshop hack job. I don't want to be remembered as a douchebag. First of all, the title, love it, live stream. No, this is dead stream. And this was just a lot of fun. I mean, 87 minutes, you're in, you're out. It's funny, it's scary, it's silly, it's sarcastic. And big, big props to married couple Joseph Winter and Vanessa Winter. They co-directed, they co-wrote, he's the star, and they edited this thing. Wow. And the editing is really one of the, might be the MVP here. Right. The editing of this is fantastic because it's a lot of very quick cuts. I mean, once he gets into this haunted house, then the the cameras are going back between his one-man unit. And it's one of these big strap-on things. If you're old enough to remember the old Al Franken bits on Saturday Night Live where he's a one-man news unit, it reminded me of that. He's strapped <laughs> up with all these things. So you've got his his camera. You've got uh, security cameras throughout the haunted house, and you've got his computer screen. Um, and boom, boom, boom. A lot of them are just really quick and frenetic cuts, and it's really well put together. Not only that, but the integrity of the narrative never fails either. So technically, it's it's well done, and it's well written. And Joseph, who plays Sean Ruddy, this um, internet guy, who is trying to come back from losing followers, from pulling stupid stunts like paying a homeless man to fight him, uh, he's funny. Uh, most of, like the first third anyway of the movie, because he's alone in a haunted house, is a one-man show. And he's an engaging, funny guy, and he really pulls it off. And then you get the introduction of a super fan, one of this uh, internet guy's super fans, who shows up, figures out where he is, and wants to crash the party. And then we kick things up a few notches. And it's perfect timing, too, because... You're just starting to feel, all right, this is kind of a one-trick pony here. Where are we going? And then it kicks it up, and it, it puts the horror in the horror comedy. And I, I just thought it was a real gas. I mean, it from the very opening frames where it has a, a disclaimer about found footage but then does something funny with it, it has really good wink-winks at horror tropes, at Internet tropes, and it it delivers the the scares, too, with uh, with some good stuff in the haunted house, and it's funny. And uh, like I said, it's in and out. It's 87 minutes, and I, I'd have be, a, be a really surprised if anybody just doesn't get a real kick out of this. It's a lot of fun called Deadstream, and well done to the Winters. I mean, talk about—I mean, there are other people, obviously, involved in putting this movie together, but when you're the directors, you're the writers, one of you is the star, and you edited this thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Man, yeah. that is a well, well done— Tip of the hat. Tip of the hat, yeah, to the, to the Winter household there, because this was fun, especially for—if you just— Maybe if you watch Hellraiser, okay. And then a little you, palate cleanser. Yeah, you still like <laughs> horror, but let's have some fun with it. That's this right. is perfect to fire up this weekend, and it is on Shudder now. Liked it, Deadstream. <laughs> Crime, drama, mystery next. Following the death of his wife, Santoshi has sunk into depression and debt, much to the consternation of his daughter, high school student Katie. To ease their debt, Santoshi tells her he will track down a serial killer and collect the reward. This is called Missing. <laughs> Content 
You may also find this under the title of Sagasu, S-A-G-A-S-U, if you're looking it up. But Joe enjoyed it. This is the first feature from director Shinzu Katayama, but he has a great resume because he was the assistant director on a number of Bong Joon-ho films, oh. including Mother. Nice. And, yeah. He also co-wrote this. He uh, Right. And Mother and this film have um, some things in common. They're about, you know, a parental responsibility, parental relationships. There's a murder mystery. There's a potential serial killer. You know, the whole thing kind of weaves together in that way. Uh, and it's it's really well told. The opening, probably third, is told from the perspective of the teenage girl who is a little weary of chasing down her um, step, her father, who is prone to depression, has lost a lot of money since since her mother's suicide. Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of tired of being the grown-up. And then we get the point of view of the serial killer for a short time. Because what happens is, Santoshi has decided... Pick it up with what happens is. What happens is, Santoshi has decided he thinks he saw the serial killer. Right. And he's going to track him down so that he can get the reward money. Mm-hmm. And his daughter doesn't take him very seriously until he disappears. And so then we, we spend some time with the daughter's perspective, and then we spend some time with no name's perspective, and then we spend time with the father's perspective. It's fascinating. It's fascinating the way it all weaves in and out. It's really, really well put together. Um, it's sad, and it never goes where you think it's going to go. And all of it, all of it is, and it's not just great direction. These three performances are uh, magnificent. So it's a really good, solid thriller. Yeah, I think you can see the influence of Bong Joon-ho and, sure. and maybe of Mother yeah. specifically, yeah. Uh, but that's not a bad thing at no, all. No, <laughs> not at no, all. exactly. And this is on VOD now, a good one called Missing. Next is a coming-of-age rebellion story fueled by Riot Girl music, a dysfunctional family, and LSD. In 1992 and based on true events that follow a Latina teen's tumble through self-discovery into adulthood, it's called Acid Test. Come on, Gregarious, Gregarious, come on, you, you got this. You know, maybe I should just take a gap. my dead body who am i i have no power my mom has no power sometimes we hurt the ones we love the most that's enough of this who am i what is a girl this year is touted as the year of the woman i will always worry about you Where do I begin? This one is really a time stamp mm-hmm. of the election year and of, you know, grunge music and adolescence. And it really does a nice job of bringing those things all together in an authentic way. Um, Rachel Willis did the review for us at, at MadWolf.com. And, you know, I think she was surprised by how much she enjoyed this one. Yeah, this is writer-director Jennifer Waldo. And, you know, coming-of-age stories, they just have to give something a little fresh and mm-hmm. you know a time sca- stamp can do that you you get the impression that this is probably drawing on a lot of her own experience Absolutely. and that's great yeah. that's fine so it definitely works and uh, Rachel was impressed you can check out her full review at madwolf.com but she liked it streaming now called acid test got another foreign language film next a uh, crime drama historical crime drama when an ex prisoner of the great war returns home and finds his comrades brutally murdered he decides to bring the serial killer to justice this is called hinterland Ich bin ein anderer Mensch als der, der damals in den Krieg gezogen ist. 
This is from co-writer and director Stefan Ruzowitzki. And this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Tori Haynes. Yes, who loved it, who really enjoyed it. Uh, Ruzowitzki won the Oscar a few years ago for I, directing Counterfeiters. Like, I thought great, so. A great... Okay, I, for some reason I missed that. I was looking it up and I thought, boy, I know that name and I just couldn't find it. That's it. And, and the thing I love Counterfeiters. It's so good. It's so good. And it couldn't be any less like this movie. If right. you look at this movie in particular, it looks almost like a Tim Burton film. And the boy, the, the I mean, the tone there, yeah. and this has got, and it is, it's a murder mystery, but it, it takes on a bit of a fantasy dystopian kind of feel about it, even though you know the time period, you know the timestamp. It's an interesting film. Uh, Tori liked it very much, thought that it's mu- very absolutely worth having a look at. Yeah, and if you like this, by all means, go back and watch Counterfeiters, <laughs> because I'm glad you mentioned that. It yeah. was racking my brain. I was like, I know that name. Yes. Counterfeiters, I'm still surprised there hasn't been an American remake of Counterfeiters. I agree. That was clever as hell. Yeah, it really was. And that's called Hinterland. It's streaming now. Let's go back to horror. Witches don't die before leaving their legacy. That's the film Two Witches. Have you ever walked in your sleep before? Simon? We have a situation... This is another one that Tori Haynes reviewed for us, a good one for spooky season. Yay. And it's good. And it's it's about a youngster who inherits supernatural powers from her grandmother. And the first, you know, it's it's broken into chapters. First couple of chapters we'll think this is a pretty decent retread of of tropes that you're familiar with. But stick it out because yeah. then it becomes a pretty decent fresh idea of a horror film. So it's not Probably a classic, but it is, especially during this time of year. It's it's a it's a pretty effective horror film. Yeah, I think Rachel was impressed by how the different approaches by to the different parts of the movie actually fit together and worked well together. And uh, the director's Pierre Sigardis also co-wrote it. I probably butchered that as well. But, uh, <laughs> but Tori's full review is at MadWolf.com. To which is streaming now. And one is pulling up the rear this week in more ways than one. It's a comedy. Two best friends who break up with their girlfriends at the same time subsequently decide to move in with each other. It's Bromates. Hey! Welcome, Bromate! Hey! <laughs> the best way to get through a breakup is to push all that down and pump in fun stuff. Oh, like freaky deaky sex stuff? Hey! It's Max's boyfriend. Boyfriend? Oh, buddy! Hey! Here's your phone, buddy. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I got your new ringtone. Nope! Y'all hit my grandma car? Isn't that who I think it is? Yes, Matt Wiener drew the short straw this week. <laughs> He's got the review up now at madwolf.com, and he did not care for this. No. Comedy with a question mark, exactly. because there isn't much. No, Josh Brenner plays uh, a good guy who gets dumped by his girlfriend, and his best friend, Lil Rel Howery, who is the bright spot in the film, is also being dumped, and they decide that they're going to support each other. A bro in need is a bro indeed, and all of that. But it's the most tired ridiculous retread cynical look at basically how stupid men are and how uh, you know it's just it's 
It's bad. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like one big, long, bad joke just to get to the Snoop Dogg cameo. He's a producer, but it's not worth it. Yeah. And that's streaming now. A full review by Matt Wiener at MadWolf.com. Streaming now called Bromates. All right. Let's get to better things in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Time to get back in with uh, Schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin, hanging out in the lobby with the new news. What's new? Well, as of today, Universal's Idris Elba versus Kill Crazy Lion movie Beast is now streaming on Peacock. <laughs> and Disney's recent horror hit Barbarian will, hit, will be available to stream on HBO Max starting October 24th, just in time for Halloween. Oh, nice! That one's fun. And Todd Field's Tar will now be getting a wider theatrical release on October 28th. So if it's not already in your area this weekend, it might be my month's end. Um, Spirited, which is Apple's musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol, is getting a limited theatrical run beginning November 11th, followed by its streaming premiere on Apple TV Plus on November 18th. And that stars Ryan Reynolds as Scrooge and Will Ferrell as the gross, uh, as the ghost of Christmas Present. Nice. Interesting combo there. <laughs> Shudder's Yiddish vampire road trip movie, Blood Relatives, will premiere on November 22nd. And Ryan Johnson's Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion, is receiving a special one-week-wide theatrical run from November 23rd through 29th, a month ahead of its Netflix premiere on December 23rd. Wow. And Apple has set a December 2nd theatrical release for their period piece action thriller, Emancipation, which sees Will Smith as a runaway slave. Uh, it's not clear yet exactly how wide that will be, but the movie will be also premiering on Apple TV Plus a week later on December 9th. And then, also on December 9th, is the release of Christmas Bloody Christmas, which is the latest horror film from uh, Bliss and VFW director Joe Vegas. And that will premiere on Shutter that date, as well as in some select theaters. And on January 27th, Amazon has set a premiere for their Jennifer Lopez and Josh Duhamel action comedy Shotgun Wedding. And for another dose of Jennifer Lopez, the Nikki Caro-directed action film that she's done called The Mother will premiere on Netflix sometime in May. Lionsgate has, this one's just for hope, Lionsgate has set a September 22nd, 2023 theatrical release for The Expendables 4. Oh, wow. Which, <laughs> which brings back Jason Statham, Sylvester Stallone, Dolph Lundgren, and Randy Couture, and also adds Megan Fox, 50 Cent, Tony Jaw, Ico Uve, and Andy Garcia into the mix. And as expected, Paramount has yanked their uh, Star Trek IV movie from its previous December 2023 date to next year. Uh, they do not have a new date for it yet, but odds are it'll arrive in 2024 at some point. Mm -hmm. And then I've got one more bit of regular news and then an interesting bit of trivia for you. Okay. First up, Village Roadshow has announced that they are backing a new film from John Waters. I saw that! Yeah. <laughs> He's going to adapt and direct his recent novel, Liarmouth, and once that arrives, it'll be his first movie in 20 years. Wow. Crazy. Kind of seems like a crime to me. But. Yeah. And here's your fun tidbit. Uh, of course, back in 2002, The Transporter, Jason Statham's mm -hmm. movie that kind of really launched his career, came out. And then two years later, Michael Mann did Collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Right. At the start of that movie, a nameless Jason Statham drops off a package to Tom Cruise's hitman character. It was always rumored at the time that it might actually be his transporter character. Well, um, 
writer Stuart Beatty and also director Michael Mann have pretty much officially confirmed that it is. They're both big fans of The Transporter. So technically, the second appearance of Jason Statham as The Transporter was not in Transporter 2, but was in Michael Mann's Collateral. Wow. Very nice. Very way to wrap it up there. We appreciate it. You can always catch up with The Schlocketeer on socials at The Schlocketeer. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, next week starts off with one I know the Schlocketeer and the both of us are looking forward to. Halloween Ends comes next week. Wow, that's going to be a biggie. Also, the new one from Dario Argenta is uh, Dark Glasses. And also something called The Visitor. Summit Fever. That's one about getting snowed in on the, like, yeah, that one's for you for sure. Come on. Also, Sirens. Decision to Leave. A movie called Krat, K-R-A-T-T. And she will. Okay. Will she? We'll find out. That's all next week, though. But, uh, boy, some good stuff to talk about this week. What do you think about Hellraiser? Come on. A lot of horror. And, of course, October. So we expect that. Uh, Or if Lyle Lyle Crocodile, if that's your thing, (laughs) dig in. We'll talk about it all. We always love to keep this conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. Also, Facebook and Instagram. It's MadWolf.com. And the main website we can find all of our written reviews uh, and also our other horror movie only podcast. New one dropping uh, just in a couple of days, by the way, uh, a few days called Fright Club. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Go see a movie. And uh, <laughs> we will talk next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>